As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. <laughs> just telling Casey there, I put my little white doggy to the back door this morning with a little gentle toe poke, you know, to get him out to do his morning constitutional about maybe ten or quarter past six and he looks up at me and says, are you out of your tiny mind? It was a horrible morning, but it's lovely now. And they tell us the rain will be back, but we'll just wait and see. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at opinionline96. Forgetteth ye not that all this week we have got daily giveaways with the Everyman Christmas Panto, which opens on the 30th of November. We're giving away VIP tickets to a special night on December 18th with all sorts of goodies thrown in and 50 euro to go to Isaac's before it as well. That's happening throughout the course of the morning all this week in association with the Everyman. Good morning to you. Yesterday afternoon, we started getting videos dropped into us by email, by WhatsApp, by all sorts of different media. Videos of a deluge, a flood pouring down Cathedral Road, cascading down into Blackpool. It really was bad. And Ian O'Farrell, I think, you were caught. Your premises, your furniture centre was caught right in the middle of it. Again, good morning to you. PJ, how are you? I'm not too bad, my friend. I think I'm probably in better better shape than you are. Yeah, it could have been worse, but as I say, what can you do? As I if we got warning there, Ray from Harry out, came over, just ran in the door and said, there's water coming down the road. Yeah. Be prepared. So we started to get out the flood barriers, but unfortunately, a good bit of it got into the shop before we could get them up. Like, you know? Where exactly are you, Ian? Uh, the new the furniture centre in Watercourse Road. Just uh, across from the guard station there gotcha. on Watercourse Road, like you know, yeah. so we, we, we were informed that there was a leak up in like Cathedral Road, and it uh, just came down from every angle, came down different streets onto O'Connell Street and down Beasley Street, and unfortunately, we were in between the two of them, yeah. so it just head on, like you know. Yeah, it was a big break. The, 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 the drains, such as they were, coped as well as they could, but you weren't going to get it all no, sucked away. No, and there were odd locks and stuff like this. And 
thought to me this isn't the first time it's happened to us like even in June remember we had the heavy rain there and stuff like that the same thing happened we were just about to leave at 6 o'clock and we were waiting for the rain to go off and three bla- three drains outside the front of the shop and they were blocked so we had to go out and block them ourselves to try to keep the water away from the shop again like you know is it seven times now since 2012 this has happened? Oh, it will be, yeah. It will Good be, yeah. God. Be and is it always the yeah. same way that it comes down it from... straight down up onto the footpath across by the pedestrian crossing and stuff like that, right? You know, there's no sort of blockage. The footpath is the same level as the road, so as soon as the water comes down the hill, straight up onto the footpath in the front door of our shop, like, you know? So what kind of damage is done now? Uh, well, we had new stock just arrived in and pallets in the front door. We were unloading that and we had it inside in the front door of the shop and, as I say, came in in front of it and stuff like that And because we had the Black Friday event on next week and stuff like that. So it just came flying in the door, carpets, rugs, wooden flooring. It has to come up. So it's a bit of walk ahead, like, you know. And tell me, is there an insurance issue because of the frequency of your flooding? There is, because, as I said, you'd only get in cover for once-off insurance for floods. As I said, it's an act of God, as they say, as well, we've been told. So hopefully, you know, we'd, uh, someone called into us yesterday and said the, the insurance assessor for Irish Water would call into us, but hopefully that will happen, like, you know? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, if it's a so, burst in their main... Exactly. Then they're exactly. responsible not, for the damage you would have yeah, that, that's, what, that's what you would think, hopefully, and anyway, like, as I say, business is hard enough without having to pay for this sort of stuff as well like you know yeah. and back in the day it was a simple matter of ringing City Hall when there was water coming in or when the water was coming up the road you'd ring City Hall and the lads would come out quickly yeah it's exactly, not as easy yeah. as that anymore is it no it is not, it is not what has to happen exactly. now who do you call now Ghostbusters that's, that's the thing it's, it's, it's a sticky one like is it the council is it the Irish water is it the who, who's responsible like you know yeah. no one seems to be taking responsibility it's the same as like if you look we were in Blackpool you know, for the last couple of days and looking out the window the traffic lights are gone for nearly five days in a row like you know really so, is it, yeah it, is, it seems to be and like, again who, who's that used to be just a like, case of ringing the council that would mean exactly. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the way it's going, like, you know. It's yeah. a pity, like, you know. So are you in there now with mops and humidifiers? And we we stayed there. We were we, we were going to Souls yesterday, but thank God we had a couple of lads around there bringing in stock and stuff like that. So we cleaned it up, mopped it up, dried it out, towels, dehumidifiers, got onto it straight away, and we were open within two hours and straight away again, like, so we're open for business again, like, you know. Good lad, good lad. Yeah, that's great so work. And I think, yeah. I think that, according to my notes in front of me here, you frequently do your own drain clearing now. Because we do, just we make do, sure you have to. Yeah. As I said, we pulled up three drains yesterday just because they were covered with leaves, but I suppose that's no one's fault, it's just the time of the year, the leaves fall and stuff like that, but in the, in, in June, when there's no leaves falling, they're still blocked, so you just have to block them yourself, like, you know? Yeah. And block them, which is just what you have to do to stay open, like, you know? Yeah. So open for business anyway? Oh, open for business and getting ready for Black Friday, as I say. So, getting yeah, a bit um, tired you know. of this, though, I'd say, Ian. It is. It's getting annoying, like, as I say, putting down flooring every so often, having to pull it off, because I say, you know, wooden flooring and stuff like that. Like, yeah. it, 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 as soon as it hits water, it has to be taken off, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, must be fairly, yeah, fairly tiresome. Do you know what? Uh, uh, there's a lot of people who would have just packed it up and moved out to the outskirts. Oh, there is, as I said, the, the family business there, the barriers are running, yeah. the furniture trade out there for 40 years, like, it's so Teddy's, why would you Teddy's move? old place, of course, I forgot that. It is, yeah, yeah. Teddy's, yeah, it's Teddy's, his daughter and his son and his other daughter took it over, like, you know, yeah. so yeah. They, they're running it now at the moment, so and business is good, thank God, like, you know, but good. So you don't need these things. No. 
Yeah, on top and, of the other. Not, you know? not seven times in seven years. No, no, no. That's not. it. Seven that's times definitely. in seven years. Yeah, now. seven years. That's it. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. All right. Listen. I wish you well with the clean up, and I hope people will yeah. throng in to buy all your Black Friday stuff. So make it make yeah. a bit of money. All right, Ian. Thanks very much. That's Ian O'Farrell at the Furniture Centre on Watercourse Road, traditional Cork Blackpool business, 40 years there, Teddy Barry's old place, flooded for the seventh time in seven years. 1857-15996. And of course, no insurance to be had, unless now they can claim through the Irish Water Insurance. And that seems to be the one as well that comes up. Now that we are in the days of Irish Water, who do you ring now? when you have water coming in your front door. Do you do what they used to do? I remember being down in Blackpool in 2012 when there was a massive flood. You just rang the council and the council came out. And to be fair to the council, it could be three in the morning and out they would be. Who do you call now? Like I said, is it Ghostbusters? Because you don't know. Do you call Irish Water? Do you call the council? Who do you call? No one ever seems to be able to tell you who you call either. Our reporter, Fiona Corcoran. Have you been out there this morning, Fiona? You were there yesterday afternoon. Good morning. I'm just on my way over there now, PJ, to speak to some of the people who may have been affected in this flood yesterday. Um, but I was speaking to a representative from Irish Water yesterday and trying to get a statement from them. Now, they said that 19,000 homes and businesses were without water yesterday evening because when this happened, they had to turn off the water supply and try and um, solve the problem. So there was 19,000 homes and businesses in that area of Cork, north side of Cork City, without water. Um, But I believe most of them were restored by around half ten last night. And Mm. some people were experiencing some difficulties when the water came back on with water being discoloured and very brown in colour but I believe most of that has been resolved this morning. Now Cathedral Road was closed following this event yesterday and it, um, it remains closed this morning. Our council crews are there at the minute um, trying to fix the road because of the force of the water it lifted a lot of the road surface wow. so um, they have to try and fix that this morning and there was a lot of debris carried in the water yesterday so there's a lot of cleansing that has to go on up there this morning as well and that was happening for a lot of the day yesterday as well now um i the person from irish water didn't say this to me but i heard this from a local representative from the area who was talking to a different spokesperson from irish water and they said that the cause of this was a huge amount of pressure on a very old pipe and it just exploded then yesterday and they said that um, it's not the result of works that have been going on up there in recent weeks Mm -hmm. and um, they issued an apology to people who were affected by this event yesterday and it happened at around lunchtime where uh, the pipe leaked and water was seen cascading down went straight down into Blackpool and in along Watercourse Road area um, and some of the homes and businesses in there had experienced flooding like the furniture centre you were speaking to there earlier. Mm. Now I don't believe any of the damage was um, very serious. I think um, mainly floors um, and I suppose with wooden floors like that you would hope that you could just lift up a section but a lot of the times you have to lift up the entire floor so um, that's the problem there. But um, I think in this instance, um, the, the, the damage caused was fairly minimal. But um, nevertheless, it's a headache for people in that area today. Absolutely. All right, Fiona. And if we have, hear anything from you uh, throughout the course of the morning, Irish Water, thanks, Fiona Corcoran. Irish Water have issued a statement. They say they apologise and they acknowledge the impact the burst has had on businesses, particularly those who've experienced damage to their property. Businesses should contact their insurance companies. Irish Water will work with them to supply the information required. 
Kind regards. This is in addition to yesterday's statement apologising for loss of supply. 185715996. But again, it's becoming all too frequent out there. Imagine that seven times in seven years. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Carrigaline Community First Responders are holding a table quiz at the Carrigaline Court Hotel on Friday the 22nd of November at 7.30pm. Quizmaster on the night will be George Hook. Kinsale Daycare Centre will be hosting a coffee morning on Saturday the 23rd of November at 11am in the Daycare Centre in Rathbeg, Kinsale. All are welcome to attend. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Frank, you're a bad man. You know that. You're going straight to hell. Loads of water flowed into the grounds of the cathedral yesterday. It's now wine. Stop it. Behave. Michael says all the corporation lads are looking after the good people in Douglas since we joined the city. I would it was that simple, Michael. It's a question of who the hell do you ring now when there's a flood. Actually, maybe that's something that uh, Councillor Thomas Gould can answer just before we get on to the, the broader issue. Thomas, good morning. If, if my house is flooded now or if there's water coming in the front door of my shop, who do I call? Well, it's, it's the same old PJ as always. You know, you contact the council and you like you have to contact the fire brigade as well because obviously yesterday, you no, know, when there was that major break in Cathedral Road, you had the, the fire brigade, Cox City Council, the Gardaí were there, Borgash were there, all the different service providers had to come out. So it would be a standard that you did ring Cox City Council or did ring the fire brigade mm. depending and the severity. Who actually comes with the thing to turn the stop cock, though? Who actually brings that? Oh, you'd imagine Cox City Council or Irish Water. See, the Irish Water staff are actually Cox City Council staff that are seconded to Irish Water. So they, even though they work for Irish Water, they're still Cox City Council employees. Right. Okay, okay. So, it was... Pretty bad yesterday. We got started getting videos in here early afternoon. It was a feral cascade down. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a, way, a major water main going right down from, um, let's say, from Lockdean, even the water tower. And you can imagine the pressure then, PJ, as it builds up coming down the hill and the volume of water that was in that main. So, uh, talking to the fire service and the other people who were there yesterday, they said it was like... Um, it was like a waterfall. They said it was torrential. The water actually, if anyone saw some of the videos or the photographs, it actually exploded out of the ground, the water. Mm. So hard was the pressure. Because um, all the footpaths, it, it just, it, it was like something you see there when there's a volcano or an earthquake. It just lifted the whole footpath and the ground. And like that was If anyone had a wheelie bin out, sure they'd be looking for it till next Tuesday. Oh, I'd say it would have ended up in Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> without being, no, no, without, no, without without describe, but it was bad. Like, it really was bad. And, of course, with that huge slope as well, that, that, that only added to the problem. And, 
And then it cut speed, PJ, as the water came out of the ground and went down the hill and down George Griffith Street and down the different laneways and into a... And I was listening to you yesterday, earlier talking to a, a, the forest, new forest yeah, centre yeah. and others in the Watercourse Road. Like, you have to go to them that there's this constant threat of being flooded and then the big issue for people in Watercourse Road and Blackpool is they can't get any... Uh, well, just saying that there to, to Ian because he, I mean, okay, he's hoping now that because Irish Water now own the network and because it's their break in their pipe, he may be able to claim off of them. But then here comes this statement out this morning from Irish Water saying they need to contact their own insurance company. But sure, if you're not insured against floods, there's no you might as well be, might as well be, be ringing me. Do you know? I I know PJ. I remember talking with you inside Cox City Council, I'd say, about 10 years ago when we had a major flood. And if you remember back then, uh, I and other people asked that the government would put uh, an insurance policy in State place flood for insurance, areas yeah. State flood that, couldn't, yeah, that couldn't get flood insurance. And like, to be fair, it's, it's the Nula Forest Centre and other businesses are, are that who stayed in Blackpool should be supported and protected, you know? Mm. And there should at least be some kind of a compensation program that they can claim from. For example, Ian's going to need new floors. There should be some compensation program that can just get him new floors. Yeah, 100%, PJ. Like, to be fair, uh, they got the flood barriers up. These people, though, are, you know, they're, they're well organised, they know how to drill. And like they should get support from from the government, and like you see the work the Pierce Doherty's doing with insurance companies now, like insurance companies are making astronomical profits. Yes. And then you have genuine people like the New Forest Centre and people in Blackpool and different areas, and then they want to insure them, you know. So the insurance companies are cherry picking their profits without providing the full service. Okay. Listen, while I have you there, Thomas, there's an uncomfortable rumour going around the north side. Uh, it's been raised by locals in the Glen. Is there some kind of a drugs treatment centre due to open up there over the Christmas period? Well, from the information we received last night at the, the policing forum, we were guaranteed last night um, that there was no drug treatment centre going into the Glen. Uh what we were told last night is that the only thing is there's, a, there's a, a lady who walks up there and she walks with uh, young people and families and she's been walking up in the Glen for 15 years and it's just her role, she's moving from one company to another. Mm. But This would problem, be the person who works for the Neighbourhood Youth Project? Yes. And now but works the, for Cool Mine? Yes, and the project was, there was a lot of confusion when people heard that Cool Mine were coming into the Glen and people were concerned that cool wine are involved in uh, methadone out- and outreach. And like people were saying, is, are they going to bring this kind of ser- different services? They were worried about needle exchange. Yeah. And- are we gonna, what, what they were asking was, are we going to have a methadone centre in the middle of the Glen? 100% PJ. I know you asked that question last night. Uh, of David Lane, who's the, the, who's coordinates. Uh, Drug and Alcohol Task yeah. Force in Cork and Kerry. And he, he guaranteed me and he guaranteed the people of Glen under no circumstances was this happening. What he said was all that was happening was this lady was was working on, from under one organisation. She's now transferring over working under another. Mm. So what we asked for, we asked for it in writing, PJ, because you know yourself 
cool me and might come in with the best interest in the world, but they might change uh, their policy or they might look to implement something down the road. So I've asked for a meeting next week and I've asked that the, 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 the Drugs Task Force would give a, a letter to the community that they will have a file and Cork City Council will have a file guaranteed that there will be no drug centres or methadone centres. So what, what, what you are saying this morning, Thomas, so is that, look, Mr Lane, whom I know well and have spoken to many times, Mr Lane has said there's no intention to bring it in. It's just one worker's designation has changed. They're now going to be with Cool Mind instead of with the Neighbourhood Youth Project. David Lane says there will be no programme. You want it in writing, and un- unless you get it in writing, you don't believe it, is what I think I'm hearing. Well, I believe David Lane. I think he's a yeah, very yeah, absolutely. person. Absolutely, but, but there's people David, higher than him, you know? Yes, and you've got Cool Mind then coming in also. So, like, for the people in the Glen who are really concerned about their community, I asked David, would, they, would he meet with his people today in Cork? And with a draft up letter for the community guaranteeing that. And I think if we have that letter from David and the task force, that, uh, and that's lodged then with the community, uh, the different community groups up here mm-hmm. and with Cox City Council, we can move forward then. Be- and people can be sure. And Because at the moment, PJ, the amount of uh, drug problems that we have around the city and the Glen is a great community and they don't want they're really targeted with people coming in. Yeah, OK. All right, well, we'll have to follow that one with interest. Thanks very much, Councillor Thomas Gould of Sinn Féin, and, of course, a candidate in the Cork North Central by-election, which takes place on the 29th of November. Um, I should probably have a list of all the candidates in front of me at this stage to uh, go through them whenever we talk to one or other of them. I think from here on in, with a week or two to go, we might have to start doing that. But uh, thanks, uh, Councillor Gould. On the flood, Carla says, I'd consider the worst main an accident and Irish water should have insurance, same way that a car driver should have insurance if the brakes failed in the car. Whether it's maintained properly or not is irrelevant. That's between the insurance company and the insured. Ted is in the centre in Shandon Street, said the road is still closed from Wolftone Junction down to the cathedral. There's a big hole cordoned off. Nobody is working on it right now. They're waiting for an engineer, it seems. The water is back in the houses, but the pressure is very low. Anthony rang Irish Water with a leak because council informed him there was a, it wasn't their job. Rang Irish Water, took nearly three weeks to fix it. It's a joke. There's no local number to ring. You have to ring Dublin. Uh, Finn on WhatsApp, good luck with that. The blame game that was played when we had a leak, breaking a washing machine like a bad game of tennis. In other words, who do you blame? Who do you claim from? Who is responsible? We don't know. This is the thing. Uh, loads of water flowed into the ground. Yeah, got that one, Frank. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Solidfueldepot.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. 
Councillor John Maher, who of course is also a candidate in the Cork North Central by-election, has tweeted us at Opinion Line 96 to say there was a commitment from David Lane that there'll be no injection centre, etc., opening up in the Glen meeting to be set up next week to inform residents as to what's going on. Once again, the locals are the last to know. Yeah. I must put together a list, though, of all the candidates. They're really all, they are all in now. So we should have a good, we should probably, every time a candidate participates in the show, from now till polling day, we should probably read out the list of all their names. So I'll put that together. And I don't want to be boring you with a long list every time, but that's kind of the rules. So we should be doing it. 1850-715-996. It's that time of year again. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Careful. Uh, the Panto Gang are back at the Everman for glamour and gags and songs and dance and magic and mayhem. It's Cork's traditional Panto, Jack and the Beanstalk, opening November 30th, which is Saturday week. Runs until January 12th. And of course, Cork's 96. And once again, proud partners with the Everyman Panto. We have a very special performance coming up on the 18th of December. It's a VIP night. Uh, six o'clock, we have face painters, magicians, selection boxes, special reception before the show. And every day this week, we've also got a 50 euro voucher for Isaacs to give away for that evening. So your prize every day is a family pass, an invitation to our special VIP reception and 50 euro voucher for Isaacs, one of Cork's best award-winning restaurants for over 25 years. More information on the Panto is at everymancork.com. But... How do you play this game? How do you enter our competition? Well, we'll only take calls around 5 or 10 to 12. So if you know what this is, write it down and keep it safe until I ask you to call. All right? Write it down and keep it safe. What's the answer to this little clue? Who is climbing to the top of the beanstalk? Hello, boys and girls. I'm Jack, and this is my mam, Marjorie Daw. Who shall climb to the top of the beanstalk this Christmas? Go on, have a guess. In this magical land, his best friend is a talking donkey. Will we go again? We will. Hello, boys and girls. I'm Jack, and this is my mam, Marjorie Daw. Who shall climb to the top of the beanstalk this Christmas? Go on, have a guess. In this magical land, his best friend is a talking donkey. He must be a politician. No, stop, stop, stop. Write it down, keep it safe, and we'll take your caller around about 10 or 5 to 12. Listen, it is Happy International Men's Day. Did you know that? I actually didn't. Thank you to Dee for telling me it is International Men's Day. It is also, and someone's getting a sniggery laugh out of this outside the window in the executive research room, someone's getting a great laugh. It is also International Toilet Day. One of the musical highlights of last summer, George Ezra. And what about Christmas without lights? There are no Christmas lights up. I haven't been in to see it yet, but apparently there are no Christmas lights up on North Main Street and people are disappointed with massive crowds, enormous crowds. There was a, someone put drone footage up on uh, social media last evening from the op- uh, turning on the Christmas lights in Patrick Street on Sunday evening. What enormous crowds. And of course, Alplunga Street looks great and all those, but North Main Street is looking a bit bare Patrick Leader maybe can tell us how or why. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Uh, I'd say, you know, the, we normally do have Christmas lights on every year, but this year uh, our electrician had a change of heart. Uh, 
their bone September, October time. And it was too late then when we checked other electricians to get someone else on board. So they were already committed to other projects. So the lights are there? Uh, the lights are in storage. We just needed an electrician to actually come and do the work. And September you found out? Yeah. Uh, no, what happened was, I think that is, we, we as traders uh, contribute so much towards the lights. And yeah. um, the city council contributes the balance. Now the city council check uh, this year, for some strange reason, didn't land at the electrician's doorstep until the end of March, uh-huh. which is normally January. So he was out of pocket for, for two months. I see. And um, between the jigs and the reels, he, he has expenses to pay, and I'm assuming that he'd uh, make a business decision on that, and probably that's why he pulled out. So in other words, what you're telling me is that North Main Street will not have its lovely lights this year because the council didn't pay its bills. Uh, well, the council did pay, but the cheque didn't arrive until much later than what, what that, we would That's have what I'm saying. Liked. The council didn't pay its bills on time. I mean, if, I met, if a guy puts up lights in the middle of November to keep him to keep him waiting for his money until nearly St. Patrick's Day, so you wouldn't do that to a freelance journalist. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And they yeah. get treated badly. That's very bad. That's very bad form. So what's going to happen now, Patrick? Uh, well, what's going to happen now is that we're going to have a or, or uh, put a few shillings into the pot today from the different trades will club together and get some funding together. And we will decide then, based on what money that we have raised through subscriptions, what we can actually put on in terms of maybe a music event. Right, right. I take it that the uh, street will be fully open for business throughout the season. It will be open uh, for business throughout the season. And we what we would like as well is for the... The area 63, 64 North Main Street, there's mm. still rubble there and we would love to have that cleared because it's a bit of an eyesore at the minute. Yeah, I, I only walked down North Main Street there a couple of weekends ago and I did see the hoardings up. Now, I've, I've, I've reached out to the O'Connors who own those buildings and I'm hoping for a statement from them in the next hour or so. They did promise me a statement in response to that question, so maybe we'll be able to answer it. Have, have, have they been saying anything locally? Uh, they haven't been saying a thing. Uh, we've we've heard that they were promising week upon week to do something, and uh, everything seems to be very much in the long finger. Okay, just generally with regard to North Main Street, how, how has trade been? I mean, I know you had a, an awful setback with the collapsing in the buildings earlier in in the year, but how have things been despite it all? Well, trade is picking up again. I mean, it's going through all the the seasonal ups and downs just as before. And it's it's getting busier now coming into the Christmas. Good. There was a rumour going around that we were finally going to get a tenant into the old Dunn's complex in the in the shopping centre and that that was going to be Aldi. Has there been any further development there? Uh, no further confirmation on that yet. Yeah. We, we we're living in hope on that one, as they say. We're, we're hoping that, that a big name will go in there and if they do, it will certainly give the place an enormous boost. Yeah. People have been whispering about Aldi there for, for quite a long time. Well, we're hearing about a hotel development. We're hearing about a supermarket Aldi development. It could be both. At this stage, we're, we're not too sure. Yeah. In terms of, of crime and other such things, how I mean, again, we get all too many reports of, of antisocial behaviour 
uh, from that general part of town, not just North Main Street. How's that been? Uh, we're, so far, it seems to be pretty good. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on that way. It's, it's very nighttime. You, you're, you're very safe, actually, at night time. So unfortunately, no lights this Christmas. Other uh, than your no, own individual I, traders will put up I, their own I, decorations. I think, I think our individual traders will put up their own decorations. We'll we'll see what kind of funds we get, you know, coming towards uh, the end of the of, of this month, and hopefully we we'll get a bit of music together, create a bit of atmosphere in December. All right. Okay, Patrick. Thank you for that. That's Patrick Leader from uh, Leaders in in North Main Street. There's a thing. The electrician that would normally put up the the lights are in storage. The electrician who would normally put the lights up for them last year did the work as you would do. When would you do it? You'd probably do it the first first week of November to turn on the same time as the ones in the city centre. So what? Probably the first week in November you do the work. That electrician didn't get paid until nearly St. Patrick's Day by the council. So if you're looking down North Main Street and you're asking yourself, why are there no Christmas lights in North Main Street this year? It's because the council took too long to pay its bills. 1850-715-996 says a council contractor has called in and says that once you register with the council's payment system, they pay you within the month. Something doesn't add up about that story. Well, actually, Patrick did say that, that in previous years, the electrician was always paid by the end of January. They'd submit their invoice, presumably when the work was done and tested and the lights were on, they'd submit their invoice and they were usually paid by the end of January. But now they've got one of these new automated contractor systems and last year, or this year, just gone by, the electrician didn't get paid until March. They're streamlining everything now in the public sector. So why didn't that happen? Once you register, according to the contractor that called us, once you register with the payment system, they pay you within the month. Something doesn't add up about that story. These new payment registration contracts, they can be difficult and complex, and they involve paperwork and a lot of hours spent cursing at a screen, probably. But once you're in the system, you're in the system, and it works well. 1850-715-996. Michael Ahern was on to say he was waiting for the 202 bus, uh, the Apple bus, at Cathedral Road this morning. It isn't running that way. He can't understand why people can't be informed what's happening. No workers out. They'll tell nobody anything. The buses are going out to Blackpool and coming up Spriggs Road. There's a few stops on Cathedral Road. There's no service. He had to go to Cullum Kill Road for a bus. Did bus air an issue a statement this morning about change of service? Of course then again, Cathedral Road was closed this morning. That was in the news I remember Wayne had that in the traffic news this morning and the lads on KC and Ross in the morning had it that Cathedral Road was closed and it was being announced in the news this morning that Cathedral Road was closed. So presumably if Cathedral Road is closed, the bus can't go up there. 1850-715-996 They were going to send students they were running a competition at UCC uh, the UCC Students' Union was running a competition to send people off to see Versatile in concert. Do you remember Versatile? They were at the Marquee this year. That was a, a big sellout. It sold out the Marquee, I think, in what? About eight or nine minutes, Versatile did. Not my cup of tea, possibly not yours either, but huge crowd for them. 
UCC Students Union were supposed to give away tickets to see Versatile in Dublin. They've pulled the competition. I think we should find out why, and we'll do that next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. You can do it in the office. Wow, okay, easy. You can do it with friends. Mmm, this is actually fun. You can even do it in bed. Well, that didn't take long. Do the Monster Music Survey at 96fm.ie and you could win cash. cash. Listen to the tunes, tell us what you think and be in to win €1,000. €1,000. The Monster Music Survey. Do it now at 96fm.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 96 on Court's 96FM. So the Students Union at UCC was offering up uh, an opportunity. For members, I presume, to win tickets to see Versatile in concert in the Three Arena. Versatile, like I said, sold out the marquee. Uh, the summer just gone. They sold it out in minutes. And look, mightn't have been your cup of tea or mine, but for the people who went to it, they absolutely loved it. And Versatile are controversial. They're near the knuckle. They don't hold back. If you read their lyrics, you go, oh my God. But they're very, very popular. The Students' Union was running a competition. Now it has cancelled that competition according to the University Times. Uh, the editor is Kieran Deneen. Kieran, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Why was this competition pulled? They're very, very popular. They're, they're very, very popular, PJ. You're, you're right. Um, but I think when the competition itself was announced, the fact that it was coming from a student body, I think, was, was more the, the problem than anything. Um, as you said there previously, they, they are quite a, a controversial band. They are popular, um, but as, as you then said, you know, they're not your cup of tea and they're not a lot of people's cup of tea. Um, I, I'm not exactly a music connoisseur. Uh, I, I hadn't uh, actually listened to any of their songs previously. Um, I was just going on the opinion of, of, of others um, in my own Express team in UCC, uh, and actually, the former editor, who who is much more of a music connoisseur than I am, um, had said that you know, lyrics have have previously provoked negative and uh, uh, and working class kind of stereotypes. They, they would they would make Eminem look like a children's tea party. That's <laughs> the best way of putting it. Yeah, well, I I, I think again, coming from a, a student body point of view, uh, a lot of people find that this wasn't the right action to take. And, and I think more the, the disappointment that, that came from the, ba- the, the backlash uh, was, was, the, was the comment received uh, by, the, by us, the Express, from the, from the SU when, when it was put forward uh, and the, the, the decision to run the competition was defended um, uh, by the SU saying that you know, the, lots of people had entered the competition and that more or less justified the reason for, for doing it. And that actually upset more people than anything. Uh, I think what it was a case of if someone had come out in the SU and just said, look, we got this wrong, we, you know, everyone makes mistakes, then it would have been forgotten about. But I think that uh, that infuriated um, the argument, actually. And then obviously they came out and cancelled it afterwards. 
So I, I'm a bit of a loss to understand this, Kieran, and I know it was the union made this decision, not you, but I'm just throwing it out there. Like, okay, if you don't want to go to see Versatile, don't enter the competition. If you don't approve of Versatile's music, don't enter the competition. But why should the competition be pulled because some people don't like Versatile? Yeah, and that's a valid argument. But again, as I'm, as I'm coming back to the fact that the students' union is, is supposed to be a representative of all students in UCC, um, that any like some of the lyrics uh, mentioned in some of the songs, you know, would offend. And I know that's a, a word that's put out there a lot these days with negative connotations itself. Uh, but that was that was the backlash that came back. Uh, mm. I think if it had been, uh, and you have to remember that three were in this competition as well, and three are in a, an established brand in Ireland, you know. Uh, I, I'm not sure what kind of criticism they got back from it. Um, I think it may have been a little bit of a, of a, a storm in a teacup. Um, but look, alas, a, a bigger a bigger story came out from the SU today, which which hopefully will prove more popular than anything. Indeed, yes. This is the capitation fee. There was talk of an increase, and now it's not going to happen, and the union are claiming a victory here. Just for listeners who wouldn't be familiar, outline what happened there, will you? Yeah, no problem. So this is this is a huge story coming out this morning from the SU, and you know, hundreds, you know, if not thousands of your of your listeners will be parents and their and their children or family or relative will be uh, will be attending UCC, and this has a, a huge potential to save them a hell of a lot of money. Um, so there's been rumblings of a rise in the capitation fee. The capitation fee is a is a is a fee separate to the three thousand annual sub that most students pay unless they get a SUSE grant or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the majority of students pay the capitation fee and it's not covered by grants like SUSE. Uh, so everyone effectively has to pay for it. In 2000, um, September 2018, the fee was €165. Euro. Uh, following a referendum that was passed by students uh, that was being run by the Students' Union, the capitation fee increased by €5 euro, uh, and that €5 euro was to be used to support uh, satellite campuses on UCC, so to improve the infrastructure of them, and also money was going to um, student media like ourselves and to the radio and stuff like that. So the figure was, uh, that then rose to €170. Euro. So that was going to be paid by all students from September this year. However, the uh, governing body in UCC then came out and said that they were going to hike up the capitation fee. Uh, and like essentially, the SU had no control over this, uh, and they just announced it. Uh, so... It, it was going to rise by 80 euro this year, which it did. Mm. So any incoming students who came into UCC for the first year this year paid 250 euro in their capitation fee. Uh, so no other students, if you were in second, third or fourth year, uh, you didn't pay for it. So it was only incoming students that were paying for it. Uh, and then there was going to be an incremental increase onto that, eventually uh, rising to 370 euro right. uh, within the next uh, three years, I believe, three to four years. So over the course of a degree then, which yep. would be three or four years, usually four, how many? How much more would people have been expected to pay over the course of a four-year degree? I, I was mentioning it to you earlier on, and I said about 500, and then I looked back at it um, again when I, when I wiped my eyes this morning, and I said it's probably more than 500 euro. So if you're, um, if you're thinking about sending your... Or, child to UCC uh, next year, if this hadn't happened and they were doing about a four-year degree, it would have cost you an extra probably six to eight hundred euro, depending on the length of that degree. Um, so the, UCC, uh, the UCSU have been uh, fighting this for, for some time now. Um, it actually went back 
uh, in the summer, as I say, and the the 2018-19 student council were still um, involved at that stage. So last year's president and committee, etc. Um, however, this year's committee were uh, were also in uh, in the offices during the summer months in kind of a feeling out process. There's a bit of a transition that happens. So all of them were effectively involved. So for the last um, four months, they've been fighting this with UCC. They've sought their own legal advice. Mm. And there's been uh, lots of exchanges between UCC's legal team and the SU's legal team. And the SU have come out and said that they, they had uh, valid arguments and it hasn't been taken any further. They were going to seek a judicial review, but it hasn't taken any further okay. because UCC have come out and said that they are going to revoke it. So obviously UCC are a little bit frightened um, should this go develop any further. Okay. Uh, but it well, potentially sets a big precedent. That's that's a major development then by from, from coming from the Students' Union this morning and will be will be widely welcomed. Kieran Deneen, editor of the uh, UCC Express, thank you very much for taking our call this morning. Just on the versatile thing, I don't need reminding of the lyrics. The lyrics are filthy. They're every kind of a possible nastiness in the world. You will find it in versatile's lyrics be it racist, be it misogynistic, be it you name it, it's, it's in versatile lyrics. Their response in the brief interviews you see with them is that they put into their songs the things that people off. And they sell out venues all over the place. They're just kids. Um, but anyway, the competition has been pulled. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Your phone is making you hunched. It's bending your neck and you'll be a hunchback if you don't step away from it for a little while every day. That's the findings of actual scientific research. Discussing that in just a minute. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. This year we're teaming up with Cork Simon to support Cork Simon Christmas Jumper Day. We're asking you to join thousands of Cork people helping to fight homelessness. It's one of the topics that comes up time and time and time and time again on the programme and the helpless situation in which tens of thousands of people around the country and hundreds of them here in Cork find themselves. Just choose a day to wear your Christmas jumper to work, to school, just about anywhere and arrange it with your mates, arrange it with your schoolmates, arrange it with your workmates so that you all do it on the same day. Say, pick a day like what, the 5th of December or pick a day like the 10th of December and everybody wear their Christmas jumper to work. And then if you want to raise money for Cork Simon on, on that day, get on to them and they'll send you a fundraising pack. You can find out more at CorkSimon.ie CorkSimon.ie It's Cork Simon Christmas Jumper Day proudly supported by Cork's 96FM. Yes, it is that time of year again, my friends. I will give you the audio one more time for the Everyman uh, given to you later on this hour. We're not taking your calls until around about 5 to 12. We'll take call at 10 around about uh, 5 to 12 for that particular one. There are some roads still closed in Rock Chapel following that fatal car accident. Okay, 70-year-old man unfortunately lost his life. Few people not happy again with the young offenders. One or two comments in about it. I haven't, you see, Friday night tends to be young offenders' house in, in, in our night in Coogan Towers. We tend to record it during the week and then watch it on a Friday. Uh, last night, apparently, young offenders, what vulgar, pure crap 
Spot Tripe TV. Oh, it sounds like it was great, so. Sounds like it was brilliant. This was the one in which the new Danny, Danny Goo, or, um, oh God, Danny, the new character, arrived yesterday. We remember him, young Madigan, yeah. He arrived last night, and we were talking about all that yesterday. Apparently, the people were, were not, not, were not happy. There was a reference to uh, Nocknahini rules. And Nocknahini rules are there's only one rule. If someone dies, no one says who did it. Lads, it's a bit of crack. It's a piss take. For God's sake, give over and settle down a small bit. Anyway, uh, someone was watching Crime Call. Yeah, the, the electric scooters, you see them. And this is my favourite bit of it. They want you on the one hand, they want us all to be environmentally friendly. They want us to go around on bikes and they want us to buy electric cars. And they want us, you know, to stop lower our emissions and all this. There's loads of those electric scooters going around the streets. I think they're lovely things. Now, I couldn't possibly come in here in the morning with the amount of trumperies and junk I carry into work. Couldn't possibly go on one of them. But they're great. They're great. But apparently, if someone's thinking of buying an electric scooter for the Christmas, for anyone, be warned, because you need a helmet. And apparently, you're going to need tax and insurance for them soon. All right. 1850-715-996. Now, there's a piece of research that has been done into are your, is your phone damaging your back? There's a new diagnostic study on upper back curvature. Yeah. It's a thing called kyphosis. Kyphosis is where you're spine or the top of your spine or your neck there is bent more than it should be. Now we've often seen older people I think it seems to be particularly women but men too I, 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 you see older people when they get older they tend to get a bit stooped and a bit hunched around the neck and shoulders that's a natural part of the ageing process for a lot of people but this survey found that a lot of younger people people in as young as their early 30s late 20s are now bent over more than they should be. Why? Because they're looking at screens and they're looking at phones and they're looking at laptops all day long. And one of the scientists involved in that research is Owen Flynn. And I've been speaking to him. So Owen, I first heard about this on a BBC news programme a couple of years ago, a warning that we spend so much time hunched over laptops, tablets, desks, phones that we are going to eventually curve our spines. Now, you've compiled research. We are curving our spines. That's right, PJ. It was a trend we were noticing. We were finding that the kyphotic angle, which is the angle of the upper back, was above normal range in the majority of people. Now, when we collated that data of 480 people, we were noticing that in males, it was 51.5 degrees. And in females, it was 53.5 degrees. The kyphotic yeah. angle is the natural angle, isn't it, of that the neck the and na- shoulders? Natural, natural curve of your upper back. Natural curve is about... And the normal is what? Normal range is between 20 and 45 degrees. Okay. So 20. not only were the people we saw at the higher end of normal range, they were actually well above it. Right. So up into 50. That So that that's bordering on hunched, isn't it? Quite so, quite so. Um, it is, if it bring back memories of Notre Dame and Hunchback of Notre Dame, like one category of people, females in Dublin, were at 59 degrees, which was 14 degrees over normal range. Now, we're, we're familiar with always seeing the little old man or the little old lady who's quite hunched in their 80s. Mm-hmm. 
But this, these were people in their 30s. These are people between 30 and 49 and over 50s. And again, we were looking at the likes of public transport where we're sitting down all day. We're looking at our tablets. We're looking at our smartphones. If we're at a desk, so anything where you're holding your arms up in front of you, you're inclined to increase that curvature in the upper back. So there is a correlation then between the increased use. I mean, everyone's on their phone now, on the bus, on the train, passenger seats of the car. You're never actually away from your device. It's not just devices. Again, we're looking at desk work. We're looking at laptop computers. Um, everything is desk-based now. Mm. Very few occupations where you're, you're moving quite frequently throughout the day. And people always read. They read papers. They read books. They read notes. They had to write notes either in school or in, 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 in work or whatever. Why, with modern technology, is there more of this kyphosis, as you call it? I expect we're just spending more time more time on the, the laptop, on the phone, on the computer. If you talk about the newspaper, look, you read the newspaper, you might read it in 20 minutes or an hour, and you're getting up, you're getting mobile, whereas now we're just referring to everything on the phone. Our work is related to emails on the phone. We're not writing a letter or posting it anymore. If we want to have a, fo- a phone call or a text message, again, it's, it's using the phone. And I wouldn't just put it down to the phone. Again, like I said, we're looking at desk work, and there is... Yeah certainly a shift in culture to more desk uh, occupation. And this was, was used in a study in Europe where they surveyed 3,000 employees and they were predicting that this curve was going to happen. Now, that survey was only was only printed um, a couple of weeks ago right. and they were predicting this curvature was going to happen, whereas we were actually showing this curvature was happening now. Already happening. Yeah. Mm. And can it have long-term effects on your health? It will, of course, like even at the moment, if you look at your health, we'll take the aesthetics out of it. So nobody wants to look at some, someone with a hunched back, okay? So aesthetically speaking, there's that aspect of it. But also, if we look at the rib cage, if you bring your shoulders forward, you compress your ribs at the front, and that can have a knock-on effect on your respiratory system. It does the same in your tummy. It gives you the, the feeling or the look that your tummy is protruding. It has a knock-on effect on the digestive system. But it also affects the back. And there may be a correlation between, between being in a, in a position and a posture for a long period of time that will result in back pain. So the key to it is to get out of those positions as frequently as possible. And the advice would be maybe every 30 minutes to stretch up your back, bring your shoulder blades together, look up towards the ceiling and maybe take a deep breath in. Just really, like I said, open up the ribcage and extend the spine. Get yourself out of that curvature and move around. Walking is brilliant. And do this exercise a couple of times a day, I suppose. But that's it. If you're at a desk or if you're on your phone for a long period of time, you're generally saying every 30 minutes, just get out of that posture, get out of that position, move around. Mm -hmm. And on the work we have done and performed, we can examine those curves accurately and we can see if there is a change over a period of time, whether it be better or worse. Can it be reversed, Tom? It can, of course. It can, of course. It appears to be a biomechanical issue. Um, it's, it's an issue that is forming over time due to our lifestyles. So if we change lifestyle, of course, you can change, change the curvature. All right. Listen, thanks for talking to us today. No problem. Appreciate your input. Interesting research there from Owen Flynn. He's director of the company that did that scanning, uh, FCE scan, and he's an anatomical specialist. That exercise that he talked about actually is one that my own chiropractor gave me uh, a while back for stretching out the muscles in my own neck. I said it before, I have a sore neck from, that's an old injury from years ago. But it's, 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 it's obviously a problem in later life. But 
you can stretch your neck and stretch your back like that and he reckons we should all do it a couple of times a day. Thanks, Owen. 1850-715-996. I really hang me head. I really do hang me head when I read something like this. Caller who won't go on air says, you're saying the young offenders are only harmless kids. But remember that two young boys were convicted of murdering a girl recently and he thinks you're a disgrace backing that programme. Well, you're a disgrace linking the two items or linking the two issues. So you are. That's begrudgery of the highest order. It's a comedy series. They made it up. It's fiction. It's not fact. It's not documentary. It's a comedy. And for you to link it to one of the most heinous crimes in our recent history, just to knock the show, that's the disgraceful comment of the day. 1850-715-996. The young offenders have a lifelong fan in me, and it ain't going to change. It ain't going to change. 1850-715-996. Last year, around this time, I think it was around this time, actually, maybe a couple of weeks earlier, I spoke to a woman called Fanny Binder. And her son, Sean, was being held in a prison in Lesbos. Uh, he was a humanitarian aid worker and he'd been arrested and charged with all sorts of strange things that he couldn't possibly have been involved in while he was trying to give humanitarian aid to people stranded in that part of the world. Then Sean got out of prison on bail, and he joined us on our Christmas show last year, live in studio. Uh, He was home in Cork for the Christmas, and it was great to meet himself and his mum. We're going to talk to Sean Binder again now uh, to see what's been happening in the year since for him and for the general issue of humanitarian aid which is what he is still involved in and of course we've had an eventful few months because the European Parliament voted down a very important piece of of legislation and we still have thousands of people trying to cross the Mediterranean every week and many many people drowning and instead of helping them to get to a safer a safer part of the world. We, the establishment seems to be turning on them. I'll talk to Sean Binder next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie Question 10, what is Ireland's highest mountain? Karen uh, Sewell. Uh, Karen Tool for two thousand euro. Aaron, you've just won two grand. Get in there. Aaron, congratulations. That is unbelievable news. Another winner on a Friday morning. I told you Fridays are lucky. Yeah, I've had a, a, a ten years from me anyway. Another winner, there you go, go, go. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. That EU vote... I mentioned to you was the vote against improving search and rescue facilities and search and rescue operations for refugees in the Mediterranean. That was the vote, in fact, that Billy Kelleher didn't attend because he had to leave early to get a bus. 
Do you remember that one? Yeah, and they lost it, and it was lost by a vote or two. So his vote would have counted, but no, Billy had to get the bus. 1850-715-996. Sean Binder, you're back with me again. Good to talk to you, sir. It's been a while. Good. How are you? I'm very, very well. Where are you right now? Are you in Cork or are you back in, in, in the Mediterranean? I'm in the city. I'm in Cork at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying my time in Cork. I'm just back from Oslo where I was doing some campaigning, okay. um, which was very exciting, and also in Dublin. But yeah. now I'm in Cork again. Around this time last year, Sean, you were holed up in a, in a prison in Lesbos, having been arrested as part of your humanitarian work. You got bail. So, and then we were able to talk to you after that. But right. what happened yeah. since? Yeah, well, I mean, so since since being released, of course, this problem hasn't gone away, right? So we, uh, personally, I still face trial, still face 25 years in prison, still for doing nothing but trying to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, I've begun paying off my bail. So I had to work to do that. I've you know, been struggling to find a job because, of course, with the continuing... Uh, investigation, it's been hard to move forward. But I've had the chance instead to do a good deal of uh, research on some of the underlying facts surrounding our case. And what what has come up is that this is not isolated, right? So there are about 50 prosecutions, or there have been 50 prosecutions across the European Union for people, uh, prosecuting people who have done similar kind of work. I got an email of support from a German-speaking pastor in Switzerland who had let who had let asylum seekers sleep on his church pews during a storm and he was he was criminalized for it and that is the that is the state of play that we're currently experiencing in the European Union and this is despite the fact that of course all this search and rescue work and acts of solidarity like giving people a place to sleep dryly for a night Sean, is in fact legal remind us again what yourself and your colleague Sarah were, were accused of in the first place because it's kind of shocking that you could be facing 25 years in jail. It absolutely is. I'm sorry, I should have started with that. Um, so yeah, Sarah and I are, are we're both 20, 24, 25 years old um, and we volunteered because she is a, a lifeguard and I'm a rescue diver and I have a boat license uh, as search and rescuers in the North Aegean, which is in the East Mediterranean Sea. And we provided uh, search and rescue services. So we had uh, we had search and rescue ribs, as well as medical teams. So we had we ran a clinic as well with doctors from the UK primarily. Um, and so one night we were arrested. We were arrested um, around 3 a.m. while we were at a lookout position, um, making sure that there was no boats crossing in distress. Right. We were arrested and we were detained for 48 hours. We were released, but pending further investigation, a few hours. A few days later, before they'd done an investigation, they released a statement saying that they had caught a spy, a European spy, and a, a his Syrian accomplice, and they were trying to infiltrate the bases. Um, nothing really... We continued doing our work in cooperation, and then finally in August, that was in February 2018, in August 2018, we were arrested again, um, and this time for really heinous charges. We were being charged with, and we still are being charged with, um, assisting illegal entry into Greece, essentially smuggling, uh, being part of a criminal organization, money laundering, and even espionage or spying. We face a sentence that will span into the coming centuries, and we spent three and a half months behind prison until eventually being released on bail. What was that experience like, Sean? Were you treated well? You know, I think prison, obviously, without a doubt, is, is a horrible experience, um, especially when, when we had done nothing wrong. 
mm. when we had given people blankets, we had given people CPR, and that was considered criminalizable. Um, but going to prison and and seeing the kind of hardship it can be it can be terribly isolating. But I had so much support. I received letters from here, from folks here in Cork, folks in Kerry, um, letters of support, and they they you know they reached out to the MEPs, and that made all the difference because I then. It didn't feel alone. I felt like, you know, what we had done was right. It was legally and morally justifiable. And that was hugely heartwarming. But of course, I mean, you know, being in prison isn't ideal. Having said that, you know, two square meals, mostly potato-based, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, it could have been much worse. Yeah, I remember If talking... you're going to go to prison, do it in a Greek island. <laughs> yeah, talking to your mum around this time last year, she was desperately worried for you, but at least she, 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 you were being treated reasonably well. I'm reading a Facebook post of yours from the 27th October. I reminded listeners there in, in my introduction, this was a vote that was famously missed by... Cork's own MEP, Billy Kelleher, who had to leave early to get a bus for his flight. Um, and, and it was a very narrow vote. This was the time that the EU Parliament voted against improving the search and rescue operation in, in, in the Mediterranean. What did you think of that vote, John? It's an absolute travesty. And I think if I have a few minutes, I'd love to unpick exactly why that is. Go right ahead, so, sir. So the, so the reason that so that we had we had essentially four votes against this against helping asylum seekers, and it's usually based it's usually based in this idea. The reason that that they justify not having voted for it is because, in actual fact, when we help asylum seekers, especially through civilian search and rescue, we actually make smuggling more prevalent, and therefore making illegal activity more prevalent, and therefore we should stop it. And this sounds fairly intuitive. When I first read this. I was in prison researching for my case. I had received a bunch of academic papers, and I went through it, and I read something called the pull factor. And I was taken aback at how naive the, I had been. The what factor, Sean? The pull factor. Okay. Basically, and it's fairly intuitive, so I can see why people believe it is true. The pull factor says that the, the more search and rescue you provide, the, more, the easier you make a journey for smugglers, the more likely they're going to be able to sell their services to asylum seekers. And therefore, when you stop search and rescue, you make it more difficult and you disincentivize the crossings and therefore you'll save more lives. So, so in other words, uh, if there's a lot of search and rescue out there and and the, the lowlifes who organize this trafficking, they'll te- keep taking money off misfortunate people because they know that when those people, when the boat falls out from under them or the boat is so overcrowded, or overcrowded that it capsizes, they know right. there's a search and rescue operation out there so that's their logic. And, and it sounds fairly intuitive. But I was so taken aback. I was like, how naive am I being? I'm pulling one person out of the water, but two more people are getting into the water. What I'm doing should be stopped, right? It turns out that according to every single scrap of official UNHCR, IOM data, official data available from member states on the rate of crossings into their territory completely dispels the idea that there's a sufficient correlation between the amount of search and rescue you have in the part of the water and the amount of people crossing to that part of the water. There is no evidence for it. There only is one really important correlation, and this is so important. The amount of search and rescue you have in the water means that the more that you have, the fewer people end up drowning in it. So when four MEPs vote from Ireland to say we're going to stop smuggling and we're going to stop search and rescue and we're going to vote against helping people in the, 
in the Mediterranean Sea, the sum total of what they've achieved is make people more likely to drown. And that's borne out by the actual data available. You're, referring to, the four, you're referring to the four Fine Gael MEPs who, who voted against improving the search and rescue services. And one would assume that they can put their hand on the very same research paper as you were able to put your hand on. It, it isn't an isolated research paper. There was one published a few days ago. There was one I've myself been part of. There is, there, even if you go to the raw data published by the UNHCR every week, you can begin seeing that kind of correlation. The, the question is, why are they doing it then? Why are so, they doing it, do you think? Well, I, I, think, I think to a large extent it is this idea, it is this easy sell that this is going to solve a problem. Because I agree that we're coming to the fifth year now and we have had such an insufficient response to this question, people are getting frustrated. So we look for those easy answers and say, yeah, well, look, sure, let's just stop search and rescue. That's clearly the problem because it's easy to kick downwards instead of looking at what might be the structural issue. So when you ask, what is actually causing smuggling? Because something is causing smuggling, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's, I mean, the amount of war and persecution being experienced in countries that produce asylum seekers, notwithstanding, there is a policy in place. And those are... So, for instance, I should preface this at the beginning. The way that the European Union has responded, so this, this vote, voting down in the European Parliament recently, isn't isolated. It is part of a wider package of policies that I would say are security and defence oriented. That is, viewing the asylum crisis as a security and defence issue rather than a humanitarian issue. And if you look at it like that, we have, the, for instance, the EU-Turkey deal and the EU-Libya deal. Mm. Both of these deals essentially say that we can deliver people that would otherwise try to seek asylum in Europe back to countries like Libya and Turkey without violating the principle of non-refoulement, which is a a legal principle, and it basically means that you can't return people to unsafe countries um, because they're at risk of harm. And when we we have deals like the EU-Libya and the EU-Turkey deal, what we're saying is, no, no, they are in fact safe. And this is incredibly ironic given the fact that both Libya and Turkey are currently undertaking conflict internal and external and actually suffer from the same structural problems that actually produce asylum There there, there are so many problems in that part of the world that we we, we don't begin to understand from this end. You mentioned the whole smuggling thing and the fact that the the figures don't end up. There's another question that comes up, Sean, and, and I wonder, I'm putting it out there on the table, to, to know if it's ever a fair question to ask, and I think you'll, you'll give me a, a fair response. Is it ever a fair question to ask, well, these boatloads of people fleeing wherever they're fleeing from, we obviously want to help them. We, 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 we would never leave anybody drowned in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. But how do we know that they haven't been infiltrated by dangerous people who do not wish us well? Uh, yeah, I, I want to answer that tonight. I absolutely... I think it's so important to recognize that pulling a person out of the water and delivering them to a safe port along the European shores of the Mediterranean does in no way eliminate the need to assess people's vulnerability or, in other words, whether or not they are legitimate asylum seekers. So when you criminalize search and rescue, it doesn't actually change the fact that as soon as we have inter intercepted people who are in distress in the Mediterranean or in the North Aegean where I work, and we bring them to Greece or to Italy or to wherever it might be a safe Mm. port, we then immediately and always, along with the authorities, deliver them 
to a safe reception and identification center where the European authorities, without fail, it is their responsibility to determine their vulnerability. So in many ways, talking about search and rescue as part of the problem for allowing would-be infiltrators into Europe is a non-issue because search and rescue doesn't determine the right of a person to stay. They simply deliver them to safety. Gotcha. And from that point on, it is the authority. So the person that you pull out of the water, man, woman or child... Uh, men mostly, I suppose, because it's the suspicion is on the older men. Man, woman or child that you pull out of the Mediterranean, it's not your job to decide what their intentions are. It's the job of the people you hand them to at that place of safety. Exactly, and that is always how it has worked and always how it should work. And there is there is no reason to try and overcome that or try to you know work around that issue. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what your background is. You do not deserve to drown in the ocean. Yeah. And the vast majority of people are, are fleeing war and conflict. Yes, so to go back to my point about Libya, what is actually producing um, the smuggling is the kind of deal that we make with, with Libya. Because if it is, it is essentially illegal to be in Europe without the necessary visa or paper. Yeah. That is a fact. Yeah. And it is essentially impossible to seek asylum without being in the country that would be your host without being in Europe. And you, we don't issue papers in third countries for people to seek asylum, which means that you have this contradiction where you are fleeing war and persecution, but you are unable to get a visa to get into Europe, and the, the door is closed to you, but you're still in danger. So European Union policy pushes people into the arms of smugglers because they have no other way of seeking asylum. Okay. And when they're pushed back to Libya, and this is not, this is verifiable based on the statistics and data available from again from the main official officials of the crisis the people experiencing rape and torture literal rape and torture and enslavement in libyan camps Mm. are people that we send back to libya based on our assets being given also to those people who manage the camps for instance those are funded by the European so Union. Pre- the Coast Guard is funded by the European Union. What I'm there hearing are little here, reports of rape and torture. What I'm hearing here is that current policy is actually perpetuating the problem rather than helping to solve it. Have you met any of the people that you rescued, Sean? Um, I've, I've met, met a few. Since. I've met a few folks. So when we operated um, in the on the island of Lesbos in Greece, we also ran a clinic, and at times I was assisting in the triage process there. And at times we assisted in, um, in some of the crises in other camps around the island. And in that sense, I would meet some of the young folks who would remember me and say, look, um, I'm so grateful for X, Y, and Z. But in general, I, it, is, it was important for us as an organization not to, not to embellish or to overly use the stories of people um, in order to, you know, to gain more support from the public and things like that. So we've generally had a fairly distant relationship with the people that we've helped for protection reasons to make sure that everything remained above board and those kinds of things. But definitely, I've spoken to folks that have been helped, and they are—they're like—they're like us. They're completely normal. They have—they just don't want to suffer. Yeah, they've lost so much already. Sean, if you had to sit down in a room with our MEPs, our four uh, Ireland South MEPs from the last uh, election just gone in May, and as a Corkman, if you had to give them a message about how they should be doing their job, what would you say to them? I think what I would try to stress is that 
we increasingly hear this this kind of politics of polarization that this is an issue of left and right going against each other and having different views on how to handle things. But I would say that this is an apolitical issue. I would say that when you strip away all the bloody rhetoric from politicians and all the hubris from people trying to you know entrench their views, and you strip all that away, all of us would agree that no one should be left or abandoned to drown in the ocean and that help should not be criminalized. I think that is a fairly commonplace statement to make that most people agree with. And it's about getting to that, not allowing politicians to add all this other baggage of fear and distrust. All of that is doesn't matter so much. What matters is that no one deserves to drown okay. or to die. That's just, and that's as simple and as baseline as it gets. When are you likely to be have to take your case up again, Sean? When is it likely to resume? Well, I mean, it's a constant issue at the moment um, because the change in government now in Greece has, has meant that everything was postponed a little bit. So they they wanted to push forward. I was told to expect it in the summertime and then I was in the early autumn and it just kind of extends. And it seems to be an issue of attrition now. You know, make it take as long as possible, make it as costly as possible because my life is in the I can't move forward. No one can move forward. And it disincentivizes search and rescue, right? Because others are afraid of participating yes. in it. There are, where we once were three or four or five organizations doing search and rescue work, there are now none. And this comes in a time when in percentage terms it is more deadly to make a crossing to seek asylum. So in other words, by what they've done to you, they've made others afraid to do the kind of work that you were doing. Sean, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's Sean Binder. 1850-715-996. Don't you just love a guy who's actually been there done that, worn the t-shirt and gets it, don't you? The Opinion Line on Courts 19. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 6FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. The Chemical Brothers are set to bring their block rock and beats to Irish Independent Park next June 20th as they join the likes of David Gray, The Script, Dermot Kennedy and Lewis Capaldi at the Monster Rugby Venue. Tickets for this latest show go on sale this Friday, November 22nd at 9am. Areas. Wallace Bird has been enrapturing audiences for over a decade, playing over 800 shows in that time. She's won multiple international awards, including two Irish Meteor Awards, and her irrepressible energy on stage is one of her trademarks. There's still some tickets left for her show at the Everyman Theatre this Sunday night. Access all areas. UK rockers The Darkness are set for a headline show at Cypress Avenue on November 25th. The Darkness have recently released a new album titled Easter is Cancelled ahead of the Cork show with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lee's side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96 On Cork's 96FM. Impressive lad, Sean Binder. I would say his only job is to make sure that people don't drown. His job is not to make to, to determine where they come from, where they want to go, who they are, what their intentions are. That's not his job. His job is to make sure they don't drown and they don't die in the Mediterranean. That's all he's interested in, himself and Sarah, his colleague, uh, who are now facing ridiculous charges in, in that part of the world. But we wish him well when the trial comes up anyway. Ed said he knows an aid worker in Greece who said it was very unusual to come across a woman who hadn't been raped. Sending back women who've been raped and have spent all their money and are often in debt just leaves them tremendously exposed. Also, many families that are around in Europe today would have been wiped out if there was no refugee policy in Europe during World War II. Refugees should be dealt with in Libya, not at sea, and offered safe passage under a systemized response. On WhatsApp, Becca said, I read before no parents will put their kids on these boats unless the water is safer than the land they're running from. Different perspective. I, that was a topic of a very, very interesting BBC documentary that I heard recorded. Actually, it's an undercover documentary, Becca. It's worth looking for us. It's out there somewhere. Morris says, I always feel we're going the wrong way about it. Europe, USA, Russia, etc. should be making an effort to stop the fighting in those countries that people are coming from. We can't afford to take in millions and millions of people. People always prefer to stay in their own place. Well, you're right on the last bit, but we're not being expected to take in millions and millions, Morris. At least we're not here in Ireland. No question of millions or millions. Maybe a few hundred, maybe a couple of thousand. But not millions and millions. Kate says there's no point bringing them in and leaving them to their own devices. Kate's friend went back to Rome and was shocked to see a large number of migrants in tourist hotspots like the Trevi Fountain where they were pickpocketing the tourists. If they're going to be brought in, it has to be in an organised fashion. Well, again, Kate, what Sean says, it's not his job to worry about what happens when they're landed in a safe place. His job is get them out of the water, get them to the safe place, 
so that they don't drown. That's his reason for being, as it were, of what he does. 1850-715-996. Finbar is asking, when will the water be back in Farron Apparently it's only a trickle at the moment. We'll see what we can find out. And on young offenders, again, a message. Young offenders is very funny. If people are going to complain about it and don't watch it, then just don't watch it. They know what time it's on. Just change the channel, silly old moaners. And Siobhan texted to say she was very proud of her son, Danny, who made his debut last night. Well done, Danny. I happened to mention earlier on this morning, it is International Men's Day, by the way, but just as a by-the-by, it's also International Toilet Day, and we kind of laughed at that. But it's a serious issue if you are a campaigner for the rights of people with a disability. Ashling, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Can you hear me properly? Indeed, I can, loud and clear. There's an issue that on this International Toilet Day you think deserves to be aired, so far away. Okay, so um, there's a lot of people in Ireland and around the world who have physical disabilities who cannot use a regular bathroom like the rest of us and cannot even use a regular wheelchair toilet because they need um, more... um, assistance so basically we need a large changing bench we need a hoist we need a toilet with space either side and um, the the changing bench needs to be high low we need a sink and we need an adequate space for a a large wheelchair and carers to come in and turn so um, these things aren't available in a a small wheelchair toilet It's, it's usually only a toilet and a sink and a little bit more space than a regular toilet So what we call these are changing places. And at the moment in Ireland, we have 13 registered changing places. But um, really, we have more than 11,000 people that need to use these. And that's that's a low estimate, really. Um, And so if we were to come in line with the UK, they have almost 1,400 toilets compared to our, like, I think we have 15 in total, but only 13 are registered. So to come in line with the UK, we would need to have 64 more. So um, we are pleading with businesses and, um, you know, hotels, cinemas, swimming pools, all these types of places to include us in their planning. When they they are planning these places, to, to, to include space, and um, to, to include a proper changing place of toilet. So you're opening up your venue or your business to all people because this is about inclusion. And, you know, imagine if we left the house and we knew that we wouldn't be able to get to a bathroom that was suitable for us. Mm. Then, you know, life would be unimaginable. And that is basically what happens with, with people with physical disabilities who, who cannot um, access a toilet. So, so those of us who walk into a place and we see that there's a nice wheelchair toilet facility with a big wide door and all of that, that may not necessarily be enough and that we need to look at yeah. more. Exactly. That's just probably... And are there grants available for, for business premises to do this? Uh, I don't think so, yes. It's something that they could apply for and maybe it's something that will happen in the future. But they're not extremely expensive to put in. I mean... Um, you're talking about 15,000 at the upper level. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's for not a hoist? extortionate. No, for the whole bathroom. For the whole okay. bathroom to be kitted out. Right. Um, 
And like if if you look, Dundrum just opened one there, Dundrum Shopping Centre, uh, about a year ago, and. Um, it's fantastic and it makes a huge difference because Dundrum have, obviously they've got shops, they have a theatre there and cinema and restaurants. So it's kind of one-stop shop and yeah, there is a place to, to go, you know. Yeah. Um, but even children's hospitals, adult hospitals don't have these and they're places that absolutely would need them. Yeah. Um, shopping centres should have them. Um, cinemas, uh, every, everywhere should have them. It should be it should be the norm and not the exception. And at the moment it's the exception. Um you know, in Dublin, most of them are as well, and not not of the rest of the country. Do we have any so in Cork? Um, um, I don't think there's any in Cork. And in Cork, um, the airport really need to have one. You know, Dublin Airport have one, but we only have one um, in departures. So that's that they're working on that. I think they're putting one in arrivals. Um, or maybe they have even put it there. I can't remember if they've put it there yet. But um, IKEA have one in Dublin. Um, Oris on Uppshorn have one in Dublin. The National Gallery have a fairly new one. So most um, most of the ones are in Dublin. You can't think of one yeah. off in Cork. Trinity okay, so have one as well. These would be fully um, accessible toilets. Fully accessible. And um, it just, you know, the people with disabilities use them. And then there's people who may not have had a disability, but when they're older, they have physical challenges and they would need to use one, you know. Um, So it's really, really important. And for our visitors who come, for our tourists, you know. And so it's it's for everybody. This is um, a move that will make businesses open to everyone and, you know, make Ireland a better place. Ashling, I'll wrap it there, just for no reason other than time, but thank you very much. A point to ponder on this International Toilet Day. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. We have a giveaway on the programme all this week in association with the Everyman Palace Christmas Panto which opens on the 30th of November. And, of course, once again, Cork's 96FM, proud partners with the Everyman for Christmas Panto 2019. It's Jack and the Beanstalk, and a very special performance on the 18th of December will include a VIP reception with face painters and magicians and selection boxes for everybody, and lots before, lots lots more than that as well. We have a, a, a family pass for you for that evening and that reception but also, we have a €50 euro voucher for you for Isaac's, one of Cork's best award-winning restaurants, right across the road to have dinner beforehand, or maybe even afterwards, up to yourself entirely. So, that's the daily prize this week in association with the Everyman Christmas Panto 2019. I have a clue for you, an audio clue. You can only call me when I tell you to call me, which will be around 10 of 5 to 12. But who are we talking about here? Who is climbing to the top of the beanstalk? Hello, boys and girls. I'm Jack, and this is my mam, Marjorie Daw. Who shall climb to the top of the beanstalk this Christmas? Go on, have a guess. In this magical land, his best friend is a talking donkey. In this magical land, his best friend is a talking donkey. Write it down, keep it safe, and I'll get you to call me around about 10 to 5 to 12 to give away our daily prize of a night out on the 18th of December, the special performance of the Panto, the big VIP reception before it, and €50 towards dinner for you and the family in Isaacs. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Finbar on WhatsApp comparing the work that Sean Binder and his friend Sarah were doing uh, to the work of Mary Elms. And you know what? You're not a million miles away.
rescuing people regardless of circumstances, regardless of who they are, just making sure they don't drown in the Mediterranean. Humanitarian work, not asking any questions about their background or what, just making sure they don't drown. Thanks for that, Finbar. This is random and apropos of absolutely nothing. Did anybody notice, says this call on the phone, did anybody notice that the first item on the RTE news this morning was Hong Kong? Well, why were you listening to RT? Uh, There was no reference at all to the burst water main that caused huge disruptions to the city centre or to the city, the country's second city. No mention at all. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, They meant last night's TV news also, did they? Okay, right. There wasn't, yeah, last night's TV news. There was no mention. No, there wasn't. Hong Kong was the lead. Yes, it was. If it happened in Dublin... The flood in Dublin, then there'd be a lead, but that's 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 just how it happens. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I want to talk about mental health, or we want to move on from something, or continue something we started on the program yesterday. When I played you a clip uh, from a video uh, put out by John Connors, and it's it's a video about it, it, it it's hashtag too many lives. It's a new concept that John Connors has gotten together with a video team and others to put out there and just say it's time to call halt there are too many lives being lost to suicide and we need to stop and one of the ways that we can tackle it as a collective of people is to talk to each other so let's have a a quick listen again a reminder again of the video that john has put out hello my name is john connors too many lives have been affected by suicide in this country I know personally from my own family and my poor father who passed away to a suicide and my own community, which has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Ireland now as a whole, it's, it's going through the roof. It's an epidemic and we really need to do something about it. I mean, our stats are crazy, but think about the amount of people that were not declared suicide. Think about the stigma that is still attached to suicide. Nowadays, we're good at talking about talking about mental health, but we're not actually talking about it. And Christmas time and the holidays are probably the worst time of the year. A lot of people miss people who have gone, who have passed. There's a lot of drinking and taking drugs. And um, people are at their most vulnerable. So think about that at Christmas time. Think about the people you love, your family, your friends, and reach out to them. Make sure you're actually talking about mental health and talking about each other's problems. A problem halved is a problem shared. That's John Connors. Um, a number of issues raised in that one minute. Uh, the, the numbers of suicides, the official number versus the number that we know. We've been saying that on the programme for quite a while. The official number bears no resemblance to the number that we actually hear of or we actually um, know about. The fact that it's coming up to Christmas and Christmas is a dark time for anybody with emotional distress and a lot of things happen over Christmas there's a lot of suicide over Christmas tragically every year always you come back to work in January and you hear of people who died by suicide over the Christmas and you always ask why why at the happiest and liveliest time of the year for so many of us is it such a dark and terrible time for others and why don't people reach out and the the, 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 the too many lives hashtag has a number of things going behind it. One of it is that we need to be able to reach out to those people too. So everyone's got to talk to everybody else. It's about talking, the strength of talking, not to a doctor, not to a psychologist, not to a counsellor, but to each other. 
as in talk to your colleague, talk to your friend, talk to your older. Or if you're the person in the dark place, talk to me, talk to your colleague, talk to your friend, whatever. I've been talking to Cahill, Cahill O'Reilly, um, who's behind the, the campaign, Too Many Lives. And he wants to push the awareness of mental health and make sure that over the Christmas in particular, we think about mental health and would talk to people. He himself has dealt with depression. He's written a book on it. So I've been chatting with Cahill about various elements of the Too Many Lives campaign. Cahill, the, the message from John Connor's video is that we're very good at talking about talking, but we we tend to take our eyes off the ball at times like Christmas. And it's five weeks away now. And the worry, I think, for people like you, like others, is we'll stop talking and just think that it will go away for its Christmas holidays like everybody else does. That is definitely not the case, though. You know, I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly, PJ, um, and thanks for, for having me on here. Um, you know, like the messaging, it definitely does get lost, you know. Um, the Too Many Lives campaign really is speaking to people to just not forget. You know, we have, we have certain days over the year, we have World Mental Health Day and things like that. It happens once a year, and we're very good. And to pick up on what you said, talking about, talking about mental health, you yeah. know. But the difference between talking about it and being, I suppose, for want of a better term, PC around it, and really getting to the nuts and bolts and listening to your family members, friends, your loved ones, and talking to them about it, you know. Because yeah. so many people are hiding a darkness from us because they think we mightn't be interested, they think we mightn't have the time, they sometimes can't put into words what it is they want to talk about. How can we help people to come forward with what they want to talk about? It's a very... Firstly, our message is very simple. Talk to someone you trust, you know. Not everyone has someone they they trust. Mm. That's it. And, like, you know, if you can talk... We're encouraging people to speak to someone, listen to someone, look for the subtle subtle messages. Someone's body language might tell you a lot. It's something we can't measure. This is a very sensitive and a very complex uh, subject, and it's something we can't measure, you know. Um, how do we broach it? It's, you know, it's, a, it's about talking about it. It's more and more awareness. It's about... It's really, you know, I mean, to go back to it, it's something we can't measure. But if you can speak, if you can use your voice, you know, we, we do have mental health services out there, volunteer services, you know, Pia the House, uh, Samaritans, they're doing fantastic work. Mm-hmm. But we'd encourage people to speak to family members, loved ones, you know. Carl, what is your own story? What uh, drives you to try and put this message out there? Um, yeah, so my own story... Um, Basically, I've been in and out of, of hospitals uh, in the country, in, in Ireland. Um, what's what I mean when I've been in and out of hospitals? I've been, you know, my, I've had involuntary admissions, voluntary admissions. Um, what's involuntary mean? Involuntary means, so I didn't know what it meant until I was involuntary admitted. It means being, you know, taken out of your home, you know, and someone thinks that you're, if you're regarded uh, from medical professionals, um, 
as somebody who's a danger to themselves, which I was, and to loved ones. Um, well, I was more of a danger to myself is my own story. You know, I was suicidal. I, I was in a depressed state. You know, that's my story. So I had a business that closed down and I had a relationship breakup. Right. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people, your listeners can identify with that. Absolutely. That's your relationship aspect is a huge trigger, you know. And this was about the age of about 19, 20. Right. And 30 now. Okay, you know? okay. And look, I'm at the other end of it. I'm living, uh, um, I live in a, a manageable life now, something I manage, you know. Um, but it's always something to keep an eye on. Like how bad did it get for you? How bad did it get for me? Did I attempt? I didn't attempt suicide. I didn't, um, you know, um, but how bad did it get? Um you know, how many admissions do they have in the hospital? You know, I went through years and years of therapy, years and years of, mm. of you know, look at the man in the mirror. But at the end of the day, what we're encouraging people to do is the Too Many Lives campaign. Hashtag Too Many Lives. I want the message you want to get across here, PJ, to be honest with you. I know you, you, I, you I appreciate you asking my story, but really, this is about the tons and tons of people out there. And mm. as John says, John, the actor, John Connors, what he says in the video, what about the people who are not declared suicide? Mm. The stigma around that. People, they can't even say, that, you know, and it's completely understandable. You know what I mean? That mm. someone has, a family member has, has taken their own life, you know? Like a couple of years ago, when we began to focus on suicide on this program, we had our knuckles wrapped by elements of official Ireland who accused us of blowing it out of all proportion. Right. So I know exactly what you're talking about. There's far more suicide out there than the official figures will tell us. And this, this problem is far bigger than any official and report will tell us. Absolutely. And another element I'll touch on, there was a report that came out um, in September that we had 352 IAs put numbers on these on the lives that were lost to suicide. But the fact was, last year, the number that were officially published was 352 people. Mm. 352 lives. 200, okay. 2018, yeah. One life is too many. You know, one life really is too many. And that's the message we're, we're, we're trying to get across here as well. You know, uh, a, a, a report came out in September um, that 30 people, so I'd say roughly 10% of those suicides, as a report of suicides, were from the travelling community. Yes. You know, an underrepresented cohort in Ireland, you know. And, you know, I mean, you hear a lot of stories. Sometimes it reaches the media, it reaches national media, media when, you know, someone in the public eye has been affected by it, you know. Yes. I mean, we really want to have a voice here for the people who are underrepresented as well, you know. The sad thing or the most frustrating thing for families from the feedback I've gotten is, they don't know why it's happened. Yeah. They don't know why has this family member, why has this, our son, our daughter, our cousin, our, our wife, our husband, or even someone they've heard of, why does it happen? And they don't have an explanation for Because it. they always thought, well, that person, they had a great life, a great job, they had a good business, they had a lovely family, and yet they did this. What exactly. happened? What was that about? Exactly. And like, you know... I mean, it's hard for people to know when, you know, the help 
uh, may, people may people don't feel like you know it's something we can't measure. You know, and I'm aware of your listeners today, and I'm aware of people who are who are just in the midst of this turmoil. They can't explain it. There's no explanation. You know, but I'd urge I'd urge people to to watch that video, and I'd urge I'd urge um, especially representatives. You know, at the end of the day, we need leaders to step up. We need leaders. We need a minister for health. We need. Um, the, the, the very top and, and, you know, and you say you need leaders and of course we always need them what is it that you want them to do though right so this is the, the million dollar question isn't it um, I mean these are the people who we vote into government these are the people we, we voted for mm. you know this is a democracy we live in but you know that's what we're supposed to be living in but, mm. you know what I mean it's glorified something else you know the voices are not being heard. I mean, if you go on to, to Facebook there, if you go on to any of the groups about homelessness, these are the real-life stories that are just not being heard. They're not being portrayed. They're not. I appreciate the work you're doing in 96. You really are. And as I said, you got backlash a couple, um, a couple of years back or however many years ago it is. Mm. I don't know how many years ago when you started. A couple of years ago. That's it. just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. To broach this subject, PJ, you know? And it's a delicate subject, what do they need to do? They need to, I mean, Walter, they need to be more reactive as opposed to proactive. Because one life lost is just, just too many. Yeah. So as ordinary fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters, friends, colleagues, what what can we do? What can we do? Well, I think there's a certain thing, you know, Social media, it takes up. Social media, media in general, PJ, I'm sorry to say it, it can distract us sometimes, you know. It's about turning those things off, turning off the noise and having conversations. If you're effing and blinding about something, get it off your chest. If you're, you know, don't be afraid of insulting someone. If you need to say something, if something can be said, at least everyone knows where they stand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, have a conversation. If it's a, a five-minute conversation, if it's a week-long conversation, if it's a year-long conversation, have the conversation. Who, who, should, who should start that conversation? In terms of family? Yeah. Or anybody, um, colleague, a colleague. You, you might have a colleague who's a bit under the weather or seems to be not themselves. Do you start the conversation or, or do you indicate to them that they can start it if they want to? What do you do? It's a very difficult one, isn't it, PJ? Difficult one to, to, to broach and difficult one to... And this is the problem. You know, it's a stigma that's surrounded by us. You know, how do I say to a colleague, I'm, I'm bloody... I'm telling you now, like, things are not good. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, cause cause shock and cause to cause stigma in the workplace. You know, when we talk about colleagues, yeah. um, we can't be around the bush here. We have to be. We have to deal with it. We're not going to solve everything overnight, PJ. Yeah. You know, we're we're realistic about that. We're not going to solve everything t- today. You know, but it, it's about baby steps, really. You know, we're like we, but like the stigma that's associated with us in in the workplace, especially. You know what I mean? What do you do? You talk in the message in the, in the message in the video. You talk to somebody you trust. 
you reach out to the services that are there, they're doing fantastic work. Mm. Um, but when you're saying on a conversational basis, I suppose put out the feeler to someone. If you're not sure about it, put the feeler out there. See, yeah, things aren't going so good at the moment. You know, having a cup of coffee with someone, ah, ah, things aren't great. And you know, you know fairly quick if someone's listening to you. You know fairly quick if, if um, that person wants to talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're like, you know, we're not encouraging anybody to say, like, uh, in, in a relationship, if it's needed, you know, somebody, a family member, I'm suicidal. You know, I need help. I really do need help. I need help from you. I need help from the service and the pair to get help, you know. I'm not, I'm still, I'm not feeling under the weather. I'm not feeling the best. And to be honest, for the last couple of, couple of um, for so long, I, I've been feeling like that. And, you know, you don't, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know from somebody, yeah. pick up from somebody straight away, they don't talk about that or they don't. If they and, don't. And, and if they don't volunteer that, because like you say, Carl, a lot of people won't, but is it is it okay or is it something we should actually consider actively? For me to walk up to someone and say, I know you're not yourself, is everything all right? I would encourage that, completely. I've had uh, stories from different people I've heard, I've heard um, in my own life, um, someone, you're not yourself today, is everything okay? You know? And it could be just like, I oh, the bed's the wrong side of the bed this morning. But that completely lifts me, and I go, that person really cares, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I would completely encourage, if someone notices something that isn't right with someone, it may not be their mental health. It could be something, just a little bit of concern, a gentle, yeah. as you put it there, you put it there very... Um, eloquently and it's a gentle message as well you know it's a gentle it's a hand in the back it's someone in work saying when they go for a cup of coffee or you yeah. know or are you you're not yourself today you you are either don't mean like or that, that is, that's a very useful statement you can make because you can someone can brush it off but at the same time they heard it yeah I don't think you're yourself today alright and I'm fine but do you know or rather they know the doors open if they want to walk through it, isn't that right? Absolutely, absolutely. They know they can they can go to that person. Yeah, you know what I mean. They can go. This person has made a gesture. They've taken time out of their day, you know, and and uh, well, well, like someone. Has, you know what I mean? Yeah. When we're caught up. We're so caught up, and especially Christmas time to really hit home. Yeah. We're so caught up in everything around Christmas, and sometimes the message gets lost about mental health and suicide. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes, we all pack up for the holidays and everyone's smiling and happy and every we, we, we tend, because it's a human thing to do, we tend to forget the guy who's in the dark corner. Mm-hmm. I can, I don't like, I'll say it straight out, I can completely identify with it. You know, I mean, there being Christmas, Christmas is a difficult time for everyone. You know, I can, I can relate to it personally. It's, um, it's a very difficult time. So your advice to people, I guess, with and five weeks from now will be Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Your message would be what, Cahill? To people it's awareness. who... Yeah, be, awareness, Peter. Awareness. It's not being obsessive about um, this person or that person in the family I'm worried about. If you're worried about them, you're worried about them. Broach, broach it with them. If you're suffering from mental health, if you're listening today... And if you're worried about your mental health, it's under the weather. You don't need to be labelled it mental health. Forget about mental health because we hear it all the time. If you're feeling under the weather, talk about it. Mm. Jeez, the majority of people do want to listen. 
especially your family friends your loved ones the majority of people they, they do want to listen they do yeah you know I'm, not, I'm feeling under the weather today you know or the last couple of weeks or this is something I want to talk to you about you know however you go about it I don't know what that is for people but however they go about it mm. it's good talking to you sir you too and look if something else you can do with, with, with yourselves um, let us know you know will do thanks Cahill thanks William that's Cahill O'Reilly uh, too Many Lives is the campaign. Hashtag Too Many Lives. You'll find the video on all your various social media channels. Worth talking about, worth thinking about. Just talk to people. And when they talk, as Antoinette says, Antoinette says, apart from talking about mental health and suicide, people also need to listen, including those in psychiatric services. There's no point in someone going to talk to a professional if they don't listen to the person looking for the help that they are crying out for. 1850-715-996. Hold on for me, Lisa. Be with you shortly. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie We got a call as well uh, from Dennis about his rendezvous with Kay Byrne back in the day. What have we got, Dan? He was still Calicozzi cast, mostly for the year. Yeah. And um, there was a couple of older women looking for his autograph. Okay. And I was only a teenager at the time, so he said to me, is there a photocopier in, in the office? I said, there is, so yeah. he told me to give him a pen and paper. He wrote down me his name about 20 times. Got me to photocopy it. <laughs> I then got me to cut it up with the scissors and brought it back over to him. And then he handed out like a hundred autographs for all these old women. What a legend. Casey and Ross in the morning with Stanaline. Big on service with every little thing taken care of. Stanaline.ie. Cox 96 FM. HSE. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Now, well, Lisa, thanks for holding uh, there. You had something to say about your own recent experiences. Good morning um, to you. Good morning, PJ. Um, that's right, yeah. um, PJ. Um, I suffer severe with schizophrenia, psychosis, borderline personality disorder. And in the last 12 months, 14 months, it's increased usually. I suffer now with outbursts mainly two, three, four times a day. And last Tuesday night, I then um, sat back, a huge setback, and my close friend of mine came with me to the South Dock. We rang South Dock. She did everything in her power. No, my friend, my friends on my medication in this PJ, in my world, they are doing everything they can to keep me alive. Um, so we went to South Dock and they gave us a referral letter to go to be seen in St. Michael's. Yeah. At this stage, now we were after waiting a good hour in South Dock. The, the doctor in South Dock, he was a fantastic doctor and he kept talking to me and he kept telling me, like, this isn't your fault. This is not your fault. You were born with us, unfortunately, he said, but this thing, like, this said, usually gets out of hand, he said. There could be medication, mix-up or anything. So as we went to the Mercy Hospital, myself and my friend, who got assessed and by the triage nurse, and we sat down and I asked how long we would be waiting to be seen. Like, so and just a question, my... Lisa, do, do you go then 
do you go straight to St. Michael's or do you have to go to the emergency department? You have to go to the emergency department, okay. TJ. And we were met by two men. And I asked, how long are you waiting? And one man said, I'm here since 10.30 this morning. It was now 10 past 2 in the morning. The other man said, I'm here since half 12. Right. So I asked the nurse. I explained to the nurse and my friend explained. Like, I'm sorry, no, Lisa. Sorry to cut across you with questions, but I know the things that people are going to be asking in their minds. You had a letter in your pocket from the South Oh, Doc we had a letter from South Doc. And, and, and he, was, he, was that doctor recommending that you be admitted to St. Michael's? Um, he was. A, he was. What he what he wanted was me to be assessed there and then, assessed and to get me through the night safely. Understood. That's what understood. he wanted. Understood. But there so, was a reference to St Michael's in the letter, was there? Oh, complete reference. Okay. It's all about being assessed and okay. could you help her through the night and okay. what happened previous to the okay. few hours. And I'm also a patient, a doctor, Barry, is the psychiatrist yeah. as well. So as you still have to so go through the emergency department, which is frustrating, of course. It is frustrating because you're sitting there with your thoughts are racing. I know. Your I thoughts know. are racing. What's going to happen? Like, and you're thinking you're sitting there, the river is outside, like, and you're walking up and down your pacing. So the nurse told us you could be waiting at until tomorrow. Anything? No, it wasn't her fault. She was only doing her job. She said, "Look, to be honest, she said you'll be better off going home and going to your own doctor and getting your doctor to refer you to the home crisis team, which is a service that they come to visit in your home, yes. the session of all that. But you're being left leave a hospital after trying a suicide attempt, PJ. Your thoughts are racing. Your mm. friends are worried sick, leaving you at your doorstep. What are you going to do? What's going to happen?" So you were sent from South Dock after being seen by a very kind and helpful doctor in South Dock, and there are many of them, with a letter in your hand to be seen and assessed in St. Michael's because of the situation in which you were in. You were told by a nurse, again, not her fault, that the wait was going to be so long, you'd nearly be better off to go home, call your own GP and get the home refer- the, the home help team or the home that's, support that's, team. Yeah. She said she'd be waiting at least 14 to 15 hours, she said. That's what she told us. And my friend was with me to witness me. Like, PJ, the outburst I get there, unfortunately, they, they are scary. I know. And it's only for my friends that I got through that weekend. I know. My friends have uh, seen me on the outburst. They don't judge me, PJ. They do never judge me. They don't put me down. They're at the end of the phone, twenty-four-seven, and Lisa, you know, Peter. It's when you're sick, you're sick, girl. Why would any anyone judge you when you're sick? No one. I would understand judge you that, when you're but sick. I was listening to the interview beforehand where the guy said, "Talk out to people." You can't be telling them twenty-four-seven, Peter, because these people have their own issues going on. These people have their own lives going on. Yes. They, like, in fairness, some they do, but the effort and the time in for me, that's not their job. This is the HSC's job, unfortunately. It is down to the professionals well, to be dealing with my outburst, my medication. Yeah. And unfortunately, since that, since I went to my doctor last Thursday, I've had no word from anybody about me being seen, assessed or anything. And my next appointment to see a psychiatrist is the 23rd of December. Hold, hold and on, I cannot. Hold on. You haven't seen anybody since they sent you home? No. Only my own doctor, and she sent the referral. And I was told that they'd ring with an appointment. Regarding but did the home crisis team not call to you? No, they rang me to say that they'd ring me with uh, an appointment. They'd mm. ring me regarding an appointment to go up when they'd have it. You have to go up to be assessed. They don't do home visits. Okay. How are you now? Well, I'm just, I, to be honest now, PJ, I had a tough night. 
I three out first last night, but I still got up and as everybody knows, Lisa, that walks the dog. What happens when you have an outburst, Lisa? Um, I get the bear um, racing, roaring voices in my head and the voices tell me, you're not wanted and people hate you for the way you are. People, you've no friends and I get severe nightmares, PJ, of when my home was robbed and I see masked men and I see all these things and even when the grave was dug, brought back memories and poor old thing it's it's my friend and my dog is my medication here I have fantastic friends PJ I have three close friends that I could ring any day any time of the day the night they will just sit you down whatever like but they when I know the outburst is coming I leave the area like I had my neighbours last Saturday and it was brilliant I was there to go to see them but I was trying to cancel it on the lead up to it because I was afraid in case I get the outburst, I was afraid in case I get the meltdown. I was considering others, you know, I put others before myself for my for their my own safety I have to watch my triggers, teacher. I know. And you know, there's nobody there, only my friends, no HSC there. Just you're just left there. And for anybody else that's interacting with the HSC and stuff. I'm sure there's thousands of people out there in the same way as me mm. who were treated because of mental illness. You, you, you're queuing up to go and see a psychiatrist. You're not going to see the, your psychiatrist. You could see an understudy. They don't know what's going on with you. Yeah. You're t- trying to explain to them, PJ, what's going on with you. They're writing it down. They'll come back. They'll increase your medication. But I've noticed in November and December is always the bad months leading up to Christmas for me. Yeah. I, I'm on my own, you see. I am... I lost my mum around Christmas time, which is a very tragic um, time. And the memories come back, you know. know. Memories come back as as well as grief. But since last Tuesday, till now, with my close friends, and they know who they are, has got me to this stage where I am today. All right. Well, listen. No HSC, nobody has done anything, only my friends. Well, you know what, Lisa, we've spoken on the air a number of times, you and me. And this is the bravest phone call you've ever made. This is the bravest call that you've ever made to me. So what I want you to do now is, as soon as you put down the phone, I want you to call one of your friends and I want you to hug your dog. You, that's gonna, people are going to laugh at me for that. But you know what so I mean. My word, get your dog, he, get your dog, he, hug your dog. He's the best thing that ever happened hug to me. Your dog my medication. And right? call your friends. All right. I will, of course, it's been thanks a really brave call, and thank you for making it, Lisa. And mind thanks yourself when you forgot to say it. All right. Thanks a minute, Peter. You take thank care. you. 1850 that, 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 that's, that's, that's heartbreaking. No one's bothered with her since last week, for God Almighty's sake. Yvonne, with you in a minute. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. If you were listening to Lisa and you think you might need help, uh, there are numbers you can call now. Uh, the Samaritans 116123. Pieta's National Helpline, 1-800-247-247. 
if you know someone and you're really worried about them, don't be afraid to call 999 or 112. Or if that person is you, don't be afraid to call 999 or 112. Or call your GP. Just talk to somebody today, now, like. Um, Yvonne. Hi. How are you? Okay, I'm a bit nervous, so you'll have to bear oh, with that's me. That's all right. Um, I just wanted to call in maybe from the other perspective of, you know, those people, although they struggled, you know, um, they they came out the other side of it, and they're yeah. still here. Yes. Um, we unfortunately didn't have a similar story. Um, okay. My brother took his own life on the 27th of December last year. Oh, I'm so sorry. Coming up to the first anniversary now, so this is a very, very courageous call. Well, you'll have to bear with me, like I said. Of course I will, my brother was 49 years of age. He was married with about six or seven years. He had two beautiful kids, five-year-old and a three-year-old. And I know the people that you're speaking to there saying just, you know, say, oh, I'm not feeling okay, or talk about it. The problem is, when they get into that frame of mind, that any stigma or any question that anybody might think less of them just heightens it. So they're hiding as much as possible from everybody. And depending on their frame of mind, sometimes they're able to pull it off. And pull it off well, which my brother did. He was a well-educated guy. He was really intelligent. He won a scholarship from secondary school to college, four-year scholarship in America, and then he won a scholarship from there back to Limerick. Um, And he, again, won another scholarship to do a PhD in in, um, New Orleans in in America again and highly educated you know didn't even start working until he was like 28 because he was in college and but he was also one of those guys who with great crack you know if you go out and you met people and they'd they'd always remember him you know Pete was always the one who they'd say geez he's mad like you know or what's your brother doing you know they might forget your name but he was just one of those he was great fun he had time for everyone you know um, even though he was super intelligent he he could converse on any level whatsoever you know he could you could put him anywhere and he would find common ground and not be you know not be um kind of condescending or anything like that or um, and Yvonne, was was that was that the the side he showed the world no 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 um july last year uh that that was him that was him um the chap you mentioned there um or the chap mentioned there that you know, relationships play a huge factor, and they do play a huge factor. Um, I firmly believe my brother. My brother, he want he had been engaged before, and it didn't work out, and he wanted a family. And I firmly believe that he kind of panicked when he hit forty and thought, "Okay, it's now or never," and it wasn't the right thing to do. Um, and we are where we are. I mean, up until last year, like he's worked all over the world. He's, you know, he had the potential to be a multi-millionaire by now um, and even spoke to there was a chap who was trying to headhunt him and told him he'd make him a millionaire in a year in his I don't want to say too much about where he worked but uh, um, and he came home and he was telling dad about it and dad was like oh my god you gotta do it and he was like but you're, why would I want more than I need you know he said I have plenty and that's the kind of guy he was um, you know it didn't he wasn't one for fancy holidays he wasn't one for big cars or you know, he had a camper van fitted out because they like to go camping and he wasn't showy in any way, you know. 
we used to all joke about him about you know loving the bargains a little and <laughs> you know it was yeah. it was just he was normal um, but last year my mom's birthday we had a party for her and my little sister came home from abroad um, as a surprise for mom for her 17th or I think it was her 17th birthday and uh, he said you know what I've not been sleeping great and he said I've had a couple of panic attacks but I'm under pressure with this job and it was a big job it was a important job it was for the UN and you know um, they were the kind of circles he moved in yeah. and but he was fine he was in great form we had a really nice night we sat in the garden all the nieces and nephews were there with relevant boyfriends and girlfriends and you know we're not a super close live in your ear family but we would be close yeah. and uh, you know we set up that evening we were all in bed by midnight because um, we had kind of drinks at the barbecue in the afternoon but we sat in the sitting room and we were listening to hits from the 80s and we sang along with all of them and all the kind of nieces and nephews were looking at us going oh my god the stage yeah. but it was a really nice innocent fun yeah. night and that was the last time I saw him as himself and he rang me for his birthday in September and he said I'm struggling and I said in what way and he said with my mental health and um, we kind of spoke about it a little bit but then a lot of the time he wouldn't answer the phone so at that point I tried to contact him daily and sometimes he'd answer sometimes not and as I spoke to him you know you could hear it in his voice he would say he waked up in the morning he was terrified um, he was going to a counsellor he did get put on medication between July and December he lost when I saw him in November actually he lost three and a half stone between July and November um he his eyebrows were gone from rubbing them in stress his head was all sores from just you know the way you'd kind of rub your temples or when you're stressed out um he wasn't able to go to work anymore he'd had to renege on the contract and he just said look do you know what triggered this event do you uh, I feel I do but it's probably not fair to say on okay. Okay. Um he says um, that he had this issue uh, with tax and he was blaming it all on tax 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 because um, his he was saying then that his phone was hacked and his computer was hacked and he needed to do this and we really weren't sure in the initial stages whether any of this was true or not because his phone wasn't hacked and he brought his computer to a forensic computer person and they told him it wasn't hacked but for example if you walked in the room now like he could be saying to me look please mind the kids see if anything happens to me you know and then you could walk in the room and say well how's it going you know he could switch it on and switch it off and I'm sure which he did with his counsellor who apparently how they work it up the north is they work on um, a team kind of perspective whereby she reports back to her superiors as to whether he would need more um, care than she was willing to gi- or able to give him. Um, and he just seemed to deteriorate with the medication. It never, never worked. Um, it started, I think, with a lack of sleep, which exacerbated everything. But I would imagine there was something kind of underlying there for a little while. Um, but I suppose, I really don't know what point I'm trying to make, but okay. we, we begged for help. We begged and begged and begged. Um, did he, we, Yvonne, did, did he know, did he voice to you that he might need help? He didn't think he needed help. Okay. He didn't want to be sent to the nut house. He didn't want to be in with all the crazies. Mm. He didn't want to be 
if if anybody found out about this in his line of work, he'd never be employed again. He had two small kids. How would he provide for them? He'd lose his job. Then his wife would leave him. Everything was a catastrophe. He was catastrophizing. It's everything. Classic. And every day, like we rang the councillor, and I, I can just give you a couple of points. We rang her because we didn't believe he was passing on the information. So my dad and myself and my brother and my sister-in-law, and incidentally, my sister-in-law lost her own sister that way 10 years ago. Um, And so we compiled kind of a a script that I read from, and I said, look, you can contact any one of us, dad included, ma'am, whoever, whoever, but um, I just don't need you to... I know you can't talk to me, but please, please listen, because we're so, so worried. You know, and these are a couple of the bullet points because I knew I'd be upset and I knew I wouldn't be able to remember, so I literally bullet pointed it. So he's asked numerous family members to take care of his kids. He's told myself and my sister not multiple times every day he has suicidal thoughts. As late as Monday, he spent hours thinking of how he might do it. He told me he was on the internet and every time he Googled it, it kept bringing him back to um, Samaritans. Um, he says he's a shell, there's no way out, there's no light. I don't think I can get through the day. They're better off without me. Um, you know, um, he, it just went so quick. Um, he was convinced he had no problem, but Pete would have had like financial background. So all these things that where he was claiming to be an issue were all his, his line of work. They were all stuff and he was top of his field. He was the guy that everybody went to when they couldn't, um. Or David was under so much pressure he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle it. Yeah. Well, he, he loved it. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because one of the guys spoke at his funeral and they told us what he did. Like, he, he was a guy who was the CEO of a bank in Cambodia and Vietnam and he, you know, they all said he's not like any CEO we've ever met. Like, he would go out on a motorbike or on an elephant to meet um, heads of, of tribes. Um, Sounds like a hell of a guy. He was a hell of a guy. He loved rugby. He lived and breathed at rugby. He loved to play. He ran marathons. He kind of had a charmed life, we'll say, on paper or what everybody thought. But I have to say, I believed him. I believed him when he told me. Um, and he was given anti-anxiety meds, but he wouldn't take them because he said they fogged his brain and he couldn't achieve anything. Yeah. And, you know, it just went round and round in circles. I'm going to go, and I'm going to run out of time, Yvonne, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Um, but look, I, I, I know it's coming up to a really horrible time for your family, so I'm going to put you back onto D outside, okay? Okay. And And... Um, my thoughts are with you and your family. Thank you. All right, and thank you for being so open with us today. That's Yvonne. I wish I had more time. Uh, if you need help, and after listening to Yvonne and to Lisa, some people out there might need help or might need help for a loved one. Uh, if you, you can contact Pieta House, 1800-247-247. You can call the Samaritans, 116123. Uh, if it's an absolute emergency, don't hesitate to ring 999 or 112. If you need help because someone close to you has died by suicide um, or taken their own life, then you can call Pieta House too because they have a service. They'll help you. 1-800-247-247. Going to leave it on a slightly downer note today, just so happens. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Fergal. Back in the morning just after nine. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.